0: Jesus changes everything. When he enters into a situation, he transforms it. When Jesus came from heaven to earth and entered into human history, he changed it so much that we now mark the timeline of history in two chapters, before Christ and after Christ. Jesus changes everything. When he comes into a person's life, when he enters into a person's heart, he changes everything. We saw that last week in our first sermon in this series, Meals with Jesus. He entered into the life of one Levi, a tax collector, and changed Levi's life. At the beginning of the story last week, there was Levi alone on the beach in his tax collection booth, Condemned by the world around him. But by the end of the story, when Jesus said, Follow me, he brought him to his table. Levi is no longer alone, but he's in fellowship with others and at the seat, with a seat at the table of our Lord. Jesus changes everything. And in today's story, we see that that transforming power is not just available to individuals like it was for Levi, but to whole communities. 5,000 families. For them, their day and their lives were completely transformed because Jesus arrived on their shore. We're going to look at that together today. I know many of you have been in small groups around town and in Stanford studying this in our Lenten small groups. Almost 200 of you did that this week in our small groups. How cool is that? My prayer for us this morning is that We, by the presence of the Holy Spirit, would see things afresh in this text. And more than that, that the very same Jesus who visited the shore and fed those 5,000 would be right here in our midst this morning, seeing us and providing for us and pointing to himself like he did in this story. Jesus changes everything and he can change everything for us as well. So let's dive into the story and look at a couple of these verses. I'm going to skip around a little bit here at the beginning because I want us to see a before and after picture. Before Jesus came to the shore of this of these people in this story and after. Let's just do a little compare and contrast of how things changed for these people. At the beginning of the story, it tells us in verse 33, I love the way Mark shows us just some pictures, some details of the story. It says in verse 33 that the people are running on foot. And by the end of the story, they're sitting down. At the beginning of the story, they're running on foot. It's like Mark wants us to see their feet, their their act of desperation. They heard maybe Jesus was coming to the shore up along here, so they run. They're hungry, it says. So they're running on foot to try to meet Jesus. And by the end, they're not running anymore. They're sitting down. At the beginning of the story, Jesus' assessment of them, he has compassion on them, and he says they are like sheep without a shepherd. By the end of the day, look at them. They're sitting down in organized groups on green grass, just like sheep being shepherded. In their flock. You see, at the beginning of the day, they're like sheep without a shepherd. At the end of the day, they're sitting down in organized groups on green grass. At the beginning of the day, they're hungry. Some of the other gospels tell us that some of them are sick. They probably have a scarcity mindset. We know the disciples do. And look what it says in verse 42 at the end of the day, they're not hungry anymore. It says, all ate and were satisfied. They go from scurrying on foot to sitting down. They go from being sheep without a shepherd to sitting in groups on green grass. They go from hunger and sickness and scarcity to being satisfied. What changed for them? Jesus. Jesus rode his boat to their shore and looked at them and had compassion on them. Jesus changes everything. Jesus is like a light switch going on in a dark situation. Way back when I was in college, I was on one of those short-term spring break mission trips and I was in the country of Belize. And we were in this small village in Belize, and the sun would go down every night around the same hour, around six o'clock, it's near the equator, and things would get really dark. There were no lights in the village. There wasn't much electricity. The government had installed some street lamps, but they had not flipped on the switch for some reason. They were corrupt in some way. That's what we learned from the locals. While we were there, the very week that we were there, the lights switched on. And it changed everything in this little village. Before the lights were on, all the children had to scurry inside where it was safe as soon as it became dark, because it was a pretty dangerous neighborhood. But once those lights switched on, we got to witness this. The children were running around playing soccer in the streets, tears running down their face. One little boy came up to me and grabbed me by the shirt and he said, Los luces, por favor. I mean, los luces, senor. Los luces. Just means the lights. And they had had their lives completely changed by a simple flip of a switch of light. Jesus is like that. He changes everything. I love how in our church over the last few years, the men of Pivot have woven their way right into the life of the congregation. I consider Pastor Richard Williams, the director of Pivot, one of my dearest friends. And I love talking with Richard about his life story. Pull him aside sometime and ask him, He'll tell you about his life just 10 years ago, before he walked into this church. He had a life of addiction. He had a life of even doing illegal things to feed that addiction. Then he met Pastor Joan and others right here. And now look at him. If you ask him about his life before, he might take out his old ID. He has a picture of himself from an old ID, and it doesn't even look like him. It looks like death. Terrible, horrible picture. Now look at his face. Some of you know his face. He's Pastor Richard now. And he's directing a thriving ministry. For three years, he was an elder of this church. Pull him aside sometime and ask him, Richard, what changed for you? His eyes will light up and he'll say, Jesus. Jesus changes everything. Pastor Heather and I this week heard a story of a woman who was in a healing prayer session. She thought her life was going along pretty well and she got in this healing prayer session and she realized through the Holy Spirit convicting her that she had something buried deep down in her and it was unforgiveness. Something had happened to her long ago and she had never forgiven the person for it. And the prayers encouraged her to offer some forgiveness for the person and they watched as she prayed that the expression on her face changed. A little bit later, she used the bathroom and she saw herself in the mirror and she came back out and she said, I look different. And the prayer said, yeah, we know. We watched your face transform as you forgave that person. Jesus changes everything. He changed everything for the 5,000 families that he encountered on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And I want us to examine this a little bit closer because I want us to ask the question, how did Jesus change their lives? Because if we look at that, we might get a clue into how he might change our worlds, our lives, our situations as well. How did Jesus change the lives of these people? It would be tempting for us to look at this feeding of the 5,000 and say, Jesus changed everything for these people by providing bread for them, by providing material provision, by filling their bellies, by doing a miracle, a multiplication miracle. That's true, he did do all of that, but there's something deeper going on. The fact that Jesus changed human history, the fact that Jesus changed the lives of these folks and ours goes well beyond him just being a miracle worker think about this when Jesus came into the world if all he was was a miracle worker if all he did was some things that people could interpret as magic tricks or miracles or multiplication i'll bet that history would have forgotten him but in fact the timeline of human history it's kind of like this cross right here we see the timeline going from the past to the future and it's marked right in the middle By the cross, Jesus points, even in the feeding of the 5,000, to the fact that he's more than a miracle worker. He wants to provide for us even more than our material needs. He points to that right here in the middle of the story. He shows us he's not just a miracle worker. He is the Savior. Look with me at verse 41. to To see how Jesus is pointing... To that fact taking the five loaves and the two fish Jesus looked up to heaven set a blessing broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people can you picture him all these hungry people sitting down in their organized groups Jesus collects the five loaves and the two fishes he takes a loaf of bread He looks up into heaven, he breaks it, and he distributes it to the people. What does that remind you of? (laughs) Jesus was pointing to what would happen just three years later where he would be at what we now call the Last Supper with his disciples and he would take a loaf of bread once again and he would lift it, bless it, break it, and distribute it. And he's pointing to what would happen the very next day after that, where there would be another lifting up and breaking, this time not of a loaf of bread, but of his body. Jesus, the bread of life, would be lifted up onto the cross, his body broken, and his grace distributed freely around the world. I love this little phrase in verse 41 where it says, he looked up to heaven and then blessed the bread, and broke it. Did God the Son and God the Father have a little dialogue right then? He looked up to heaven. I wonder what that moment was like between Jesus and God the Father. It's similar to what would happen less than three years later when Jesus is on the cross and he looks up to heaven again and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, right here, even in the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus is pointing us to the deeper thing that he provides for us, deeper than just material provision. He's providing for us the forgiveness of our sins. The fact that he would die on the cross affords us eternal life. He would take the brunt force of the wrath of the Father, the consequence of all of our sin. He would take that upon himself On the cross, offering us the opportunity to receive the forgiveness and mercy and grace of our Heavenly Father. That's what changed the world. And when we go to Jesus, we can ask Him, yes, for material provision, but more importantly, we can ask Him to forgive us our sins. He distributes His grace freely. What happened with the feeding of the 5,000 is a simple microcosm of what Jesus would do for the whole world, all of us. In our chaos, in our sickness, in our hunger, in our scarcity, we encounter him and his body is lifted and broken and his grace distributed, just like those folks on the shore of of, of the Sea of Galilee received enough food for the day. Jesus changed the world But maybe you're sitting there thinking, you know, I could use a little change in my world. I'd like Jesus to come into my situation and like that light switch in that village in Central America, I'd like him to turn on a light, change something that's going on in my world. How can I get some of that? Is there enough for me? Is there enough grace? Is there enough mercy? Is there enough forgiveness? Is there enough of what Jesus provides even for us? Well, the answer to that question is right here in the text as well. And it's this fascinating detail, the way Mark concludes the story. It's like if Mark was filming a movie here, he would choose for this scene to have his closing shot on the leftovers. You don't normally see that in movies or stories, do you? All of a sudden, there's like this slow pan going over the leftover food. But that's what happens here in verse 43. It says this, they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. I want us to to just look into those baskets for a moment. Let's look at these leftovers as we ask the question, is there enough of what Jesus is offering for you and for me? Let's look at the leftovers. They took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces. Isn't that interesting? The pieces of bread and the Baskets, Mark shows us that they're broken. Jesus broke those pieces. It could have just said there were 12 baskets full of leftovers. It could have just said there was plenty of leftovers. Lots of Tupperware containers for the refrigerators. Lots of food leftover. Mark says 12 baskets full of broken pieces. Why is that? I think it's pointing to this saving work of Jesus Christ where Jesus says, this is my body, broken for you given for you look in the leftovers you see this supply 12 baskets full there's enough in there not just of enough food to fill your belly once again but of the saving work of jesus christ the grace mercy and forgiveness of jesus that he afforded to us by dying on the cross there's enough of that to go around no matter what your sin no matter what your need there's plenty And why twelve? We really don't know. I wonder if Jesus made sure there was twelve leftover baskets, nice big full baskets, one for each of his disciples. You know, the disciples who had such a scarcity mindset. What do you want us to do, Jesus? Go to the town and use two-thirds of a year's wages just to feed these people one meal? had a scarcity mindset, and I wonder if Jesus had 12 of them so he could say, Hey, Bartholomew, can you pick up that leftover basket for me? Haul it home, see if you can. Hey, Zebedee, hey, James, hey, John, pick up a basket, would you? One basket for each disciple, maybe. Maybe it's 12 because of the 12 tribes of Israel. In other words, all of God's people. Maybe Jesus is showing us that there's enough of his grace for all his people. There's enough of what he's offering, his sacrificial love and mercy and forgiveness for everybody or maybe he's pointing us to eternity there's another point in scripture where the number 12 would reappear it's in revelation which is god's vision to john of what things are like in eternity and the number 12 appears there again john has this vision of this stream flowing from the throne of god And the people gathering to that stream, and on either side of the stream is the tree of life. And on the tree is growing fruit. Who knows how many kinds of fruit are on that tree? Twelve. And it says, one for every month of the year. In other words, this is the tree of life, and it will never run out. We never need to have a scarcity mindset when we think about the provision of God that he will be providing for us for all of eternity. You know what else it says about that tree? It says the leaves are for the healing of the nations. Boy, our nations could receive some healing right now, couldn't they? Mark focuses his attention on these 12 baskets full of broken leftovers as if to say to us, There's plenty for you. There's plenty of God's grace, no matter what your need is, no matter what your sin pattern is. And if we understood that, if we understood what Jesus was offering, we too might run on foot. We too might understand the value of what Jesus is bringing us. We might have that desperation in our hearts that we would run to him and say wherever he's going I want to meet him there and get what he's providing that's my prayer for us this morning I've been praying all week about this word and I've been praying really for you for everybody who would hear this and my prayer has has been Lord Since you rose from the dead, that means you're still alive. You realize that, don't you? Jesus rose from the dead, which means he's still alive. You know, Jesus said, Wherever two or three are gathered, he's right there in our midst. So you know what that means, right? He's here. And I've been praying that we would have an encounter with Jesus, just like the people on that shore had an encounter with Jesus. And I've been wondering in my mind, you know, Jesus, when he rowed his boat to the shore along the Sea of Galilee and he saw the crowd, it says that he had compassion on them and he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. And I've been wondering, if Jesus rode his boat in the Long Island Sound right up to Greenwich, what would he see? What would he say about us? If he saw you, if Jesus walked in the door right now. I love what it said last week. He saw Levi and he knew all about Levi and he didn't condemn him. He invited him. And it says in today's text, he saw the crowd hungry, sick, desperate, and he had compassion on them. What if he saw you? What would he see? What would he see as your need? What would you present to him as your need? Go beyond the material for a moment. You know, the people had no idea. They got their bellies filled that day, the feeding of the 5,000. They had no idea that he was offering something way more profound, way more life-changing. So I know sometimes when we think, Jesus, here's what I need. I need that promotion at work. Or I need my kid to get into that college. We saw this week in the news just how desperate we are for that. Or I need this material provision or that material provision. And Jesus says, yes, I delight in providing. I'm a shepherd for my sheep. But also look to where he's pointing. Look to this deeper need that he points us to. His broken body. His death on the cross. The distribution of his grace that we're going to celebrate in just a moment at the table. I want us just to spend a moment In silence, imagining Jesus seeing us. Tell him what you need. Offer him your heart. Bring to him any unconfessed sin, any unforgiveness, any darkness or doubt. He sees you. He sees your need. Now see him on the cross. He's talking to the Father again and he's talking about you and he's saying, Father, forgive them. Now I remind you of what it says in Scripture that our Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. And for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Therefore, whenever we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Let us pray. Jesus, I pray that you would visit our shore just like you visited the shore Of the Sea of Galilee, and I pray that you'd see us, and I pray that you would supply for us in this meal our deepest need, which is the forgiveness of our sins. Meet us at this table, feed us, and I pray that we would bring to you our hunger, our scarcity, our chaos, our confession that we're like sheep without a shepherd, and that you would exchange all that. You would shepherd us, you would supply for us, and that we would be satisfied by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In a moment, there will be two stations up here at the front of the sanctuary and also two stations in the balcony. You'll be invited to come to one of those stations. The first server will have bread, and if you need gluten-free, just tell that to your server. The second server will hold two cups. You can dip it in one or drink from the other. I would encourage you as you stand up out of your pew and head towards the communion stations to ask the living Christ to meet you in this meal, to point you to his saving work and to receive what he's distributing, which is his grace. There's plenty for all of us. I invite the servers to come forward at this time. While they're coming forward, I remind you that there are prayer stations around the sanctuary. If there's anything on your mind or your heart, you can approach those, they are trained and confidential.